Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me via Zoom from her office in Utah County, is my friend, Dr. Lacey Bagley. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bagley. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm going to call, probably go between Dr. Bagley and Lacey during this podcast. Um, she has started a therapy. And will you tell us the name of the, I'll let you introduce what you've started. Yes. Yes. I've opened Celebrate Therapy in Provo right here on Center Street to celebrate the LGBTQ community and to provide mental health and relational health services to the community here. And um, a few people have mentioned Celebrate Therapy to me and as a great resource as I get a lot of um, especially requests from parents wanting um, good resources for their LGBTQ children. So this is partly connect parents and LGBTQ with Celebrate Therapy. It's for Lacey to share her story. And Lacey will probably give principles of just good therapy um, to help others that are trying to find a good therapist or just navigate this. Lacey has a PhD from... Um, she has a PhD in marriage and family therapy from Brigham Young University. She's 13 years married um, to her husband with two kids. And I'll let you share with our listeners how you identify. Identify as bisexual and use that interchangeably with queer um, and cisgender. Okay. Um, and tell our listeners a little bit about how you identify with your relationship with the LDS Church. Yep. So I'm still a practicing member of the church, which means I attend church when my kids aren't sick. (laughs) And um, my husband and I keep our temple covenants and are very committed to one another. And so um, I think what we'll, so thank you for just introducing yourself. So our joint prayers, this would just be helpful for you. I hope to learn some things from Lacey, um, from her personal story, as well as her education and clinical work and that prayers for all of you also this is a bright capable woman with a personal story but great education and clinical expertise and i like the way she's bringing that all together um to to help and support lgbtq people so i'd love to have you just kind of introduce yourself where you grew up a little bit about your family and i'll just turn it over to you Lacey. yeah 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 So I was uh, born and raised in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, which I always emphasize because it's the part of Minnesota where there's not a whole lot of people. (laughs) So pretty rural area. Um, My parents are both active in the church. My mom was a convert when she was young at age nine. And my dad was raised in the church, although active, inactive, navigating that with his family. It was a little tricky. So when they got married, they met at a steak young adult dance and our steak spans three states. Wow. So my mom was in South Dakota. My dad was in Northern Minnesota. They met at the steak dance of all places. Right. And they committed to stay in the church and to stay married. So you can see that theme is important in my life as well. And, um, I'm thinking it's cold up there too. I'm just, it's, it's cold in Utah today. So I'm thinking when I see Northern Minnesota, I'm thinking, well, that's even colder. Yes. It is common to see negative 40 in the winter times, but it's what we know. And we love being outside and being active in the snow. Talk about your testimony growing up and early childhood and, um, I think. Yeah, they were, I mean, Northern Minnesota, not a lot of people. So even less number of members of the church, very rare to find other members, even in my exact age. So often in my ward, there was maybe a group of three or four of us that went through primary and youth together. And occasionally other families would move in and move out. But there was just like a handful of us that were kind of like our our little family youth group. So outside of my ward, which was just like 100 people on a good day, right? 
um, I was an anomaly in my community. So I connected with other kids who were religious and queer. Um, we had a lot of Lutheran folks. My best friend is a Lutheran pastor um, and is also queer. And so we just created this safe haven for ourselves to explore identities and have continued to show up for each other and celebrate each other along the way. Um, talk about um, just experiences with your dad. I know you had a really good experience with your dad in the church. Yeah, it was a defining moment in my church attendance and commitment, as well as my testimony. My siblings, I have a sibling older than me and younger than me that left the church when they were about 13, 14. And I hit 14 and felt very much the same way as them. I was sitting in a Sunday school lesson and just every fiber in my being told me to get out of that room. I didn't want to be there anymore. So I walked out of the church building and just went and sat outside uh, waiting for my family to be done with church. And around the corner walks my dad. Um, and he was just curious. And he was like, hey, what are you doing out here? And I was like, dad, I, I don't believe it. I am done. He said, yeah, I, I get that. I uh, don't believe it right now either. And my eyes, you should like went 400 times bigger wow. than was possible. I just like, I'd never un, like had heard him say anything like that. We never had conversations like that. And I was like, well, so what do you mean? And he was like, well, there are times when I believe and times when I don't believe. And in the times when I don't believe, I keep living my covenants because there will be that belief again. Um, and that was profound for me to see that there was nuance in testimony, nuance in your commitment to the church and in, into your belief. And that nuance and spirituality has carried me really far in my life. That is a parenting home run moment for um, a father to be open and vulnerable. My reaction would have probably been fear mm -hmm. and probably given you a checklist of things to sort of undo this feeling about you. But for him to be open um, is a sign of trust and confidence in you and natural parenting skills, I think, on his part. Yeah, he he doesn't recall the event when we've talked about it. Um, and I can't imagine the headspace he was in because my brother, just older than me, was going through so much emotionally and with his own testimony and church attendance. So they had just been through this with one of my siblings. <laughs> imagine that fear, right? Would have been pretty intense for him. So for him to just meet me where I was at was, I mean, literally life changing. Talk about that term, meet me where I'm at. That's a great term, Lacey. Yes. It's, it's to say, I see you. I see your struggle and I'm not running from it and I'm not afraid of it. And I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to invalidate your experience. I'm going to sit with you, right? I see you're on the sidelines. Let me come sit with you and listen and then share in your vulnerability with empathy and connection. Wow. That's rewindable for some of our listeners. That's great. Um, talk about, unless you want to talk about anything before this segment, just talk about coming out to yourself, your spouse, family, just yeah, your journey right, yeah. to understand your sexual orientation. Yep. Right before that, I would say, so then in my teen years, I just committed hard to the church. So I was doing, I was living the standards, um, received my young women medallion and the presidential award in seminary. I don't know if people still do that, but cool. I, I even have those awards. So was it, did I lean into the gospel to go as far as scrupulosity? I would say no, because the shame and guilt wasn't there for me. Um, but I have learned how to, um, manage my relationship with the church a little bit better. That was maybe not as healthy as it should have been during that time. So then coming out was when I was about 15 or 16, because the age in the church for getting to date is 16. 
And I, at that time, I was committed. I was all in, right? So I said, okay, I'm about to be 16. Who can I date? (laughs) (laughs) Looked around me and there were boys in my school and in in church that I was curious about and like excited to connect with. And there were girls. I was like, ooh, that that spark um, of curiosity was there too. And um, I didn't know what to do with it because I knew the church's standards were to live and be committed to a monogamous heterosexual relationship. And so I did some research (laughs) and I don't know, I need to do a little bit more research now and find this case study again, but I found a case study that was six same sex attracted individuals in the church and three of which stayed in the church, three who left. And the three who stayed had a really stable life, really stable future. And that was appealing to me. So that was a moment of clarity and commitment to say, okay, this is an important part of who I am. And the church is an important part of who I am too. So I'm going to commit to the church's standards and just pursue dating boys, which is a privilege of the bisexual experience and unique. Talk about why I, I, I think most listeners understand that. Talk about, you use the word privilege of the bisexual experience. Just explain that a little bit more. Yep. I think oftentimes people, people will say, well, can't you just choose, right? You can choose your sexuality. I think we have, that was pretty much in my youth, how it was talked about. I hope we have changed and progressed to know that sexuality is not a choice, but an innate identity, a divine identity that you were born with and probably always have had and always will have. But I did have the spark and interest in men. And so as I was dating, it was fewer men probably than the typical heterosexual straight woman um, there were a f- very few men that I really felt bonded and connected to and sexually attracted to. Um, and so I, I had this line in college that was like, well, I'll just get married when I'm 30. I'm not going to worry about it <laughs> because it was just like too confusing and difficult. Uh, and so when I found my husband and we met, it was a profound experience for me that Here's a person that I could love who would love me in return. Holy. That's cool. Um, talk about your undergrad, where you went and what you're first studying and kind of that journey. Yeah. Cause I think your career started at one point and ended up at a different point. It did. I grew up, like I said, in a rural area and we struggled financially and had some, um, beautiful support from our community for my dad to pursue education so that my high school years, we were a little more financially stable. So in my head though, was this message of like, just do a job that you can get rich doing. Like that was my pursuit. So I went into advertising. That was the only thing I could think like, I didn't even know what it was, but I'll get rich doing advertising. And in my uh, advertising 101 or marketing 101 class, they had this line that was like, you, we study the masses so that we can manipulate them and sell things to them. <laughs> and my whole soul was like, um, excuse me. <laughs> that is maybe not something that I want to be a part of, but tell me more about this studying the masses. And so I switched to sociology and thrived. It was exactly what I wanted to study. And what was really intense about, so this is at BYU, Idaho. I didn't know if I said that. So we went to BYU, Idaho, which was a beautiful fit for a small town kid um, who was LDS. I found. And it was warmer. You you got to go to a warmer climate. (laughs) I think. Warmer, but more snow. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. I had never experienced um, snow to that extreme where like I would walk to campus and they would, they would plow the sidewalks and the road 
but there was like the section between that yeah, that they true. didn't plow and like to the next to you. So you were like walking in a tunnel to school. <laughs> like this is wild. <laughs> Never had that. But BYU Idaho, wonderful for me. Found my Midwest crew. We were just a little bit ridiculous and had maybe too much fun. Um, but there was a point. So I was reaching the age change for the missions hadn't happened yet. Um, so I was reaching 21 and I was so excited because it was time for me to go on a mission. I, I was going on a mission. It was like, I'm going on a mission period. It's happening. My mom served a mission in the Oklahoma area and I loved the missionaries in our area that like taught my family and were integrated with my ward. So uh, it was happening. I knew at age nine, I was like, I'm going to go serve a mission in Argentina. Like I just knew it. So I uh, like near my birthday, went to heavenly father in prayer. And I said like, all right, let's go. I'm, I feel obligated to pray about this just to get an answer for sure, but I'm going to Argentina. So let's make it happen. <laughs> Love that. Tell us what happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got a resounding no. And I don't know that that has happened many times in my life, but it was a strong, no, you are not going on a mission. And I was mad. I was mad and sad and scared and I didn't know what to do. So it took a couple of weeks for me to calm down and go to prayer, go and return to talk to Heavenly Father again and say, okay, if I'm not going to serve a mission, what would you have me do? And got a really like absolutely clear indication of what my journey needed to be. And it was finish out your bachelor's degree, go get a master's degree, work in the field for 15 to 20 years, get a PhD and teach like clear verbatim. I had it written down. Yes, I can do that. And then like took steps forward. Um, but <laughs> within a couple of weeks, met my husband, Evan, and was excited to be around him and like curious and interested in dating him. Um, and asked him, because it was on my mind, what are you doing with your life? Right. I've been on this journey to figure out what my life is supposed to be. What, what are you doing? And he said, well, I just graduated with a bachelor's in geology. I'm going to go get my master's degree, work in the field for 15, 20 years, get a PhD and teach. And my heart, right? My soul said, we're going to do this together. That's cool. It was so powerful and so needed for me as a queer member of the church to have that insight and clarity that I could do this with him. That's really cool. Tell us more. So we did get married <laughs> really quickly because I pursued him. I was like, all right, we're getting married. Hope you're ready for it. That's great. <laughs> and he was, he was all in as well. Had anybody in your family gotten a master's or a PhD? Nope. Uh, my mom got a bachelor's from BYU in family studies, child and family development. I don't remember what they called it <laughs> when she was up there, but that was the highest education attained in my family from both sides of my family. There's a story just within the story about your career path. And I love that you were open. I think I think it's great that you knew what you wanted to do and knew your career and you were going to serve a mission to Argentina when you arrived at BYU-Idaho. I think that's awesome. But I love that you were sensitive enough to the Spirit and to Heavenly Father's plan for you and maybe reading your patriarchal blessing helped that. You were open to additional revelation to clarify your path that probably came at the right time for updates to your path. I wouldn't call them like corrections to your path, but just clarifications for your path that took you down very unique roads. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming if you flew or drove to BYU, Idaho and your older self 
was in the car with you and said, someday you're going to have a PhD and be doing what you're doing now, you'd go, you are nuts. (laughs) Right. On so many levels. That's not possible. No one in our family even knows how to do that, what that means. And you're never going to be out. So don't even think about it. And I think it's good as both of us probably meet with people in their 20s or teens, just talking about career career stuff. Just there's some principles there to just help everybody write their own story that mm-hmm. I think are helpful is just to, it's okay. Sometimes culturally, I think we've got to just have our life planned out. When everybody says what we're doing at age 19 right. to 25, we usually just want to give this perfect answer about between now and age 100 why it's okay to say i don't know or i'm figuring it out and i'm open to lots of different things at this point and and then it maybe it's easier to receive those impressions about your best path forward so it's really yeah, the, i think the you, biblical metaphor i use is to to step in the water and see if the waters will part that was a testimony that was given while i was at byu idaho that has stayed with me for a long time, I mean, all the way to now, to step in the waters, take the risk, and see if the waters will part and the path will be clear. If not, step out and try again. That's really cool, Lacey. And I love I love the parting, obviously, but I love the step in. It's not like you're jumping in or fully immersed or you can't, you can step back out. Um, that's one of the beauties of what you just said is that And to me, that feels good because then I can step into lots of water, Mm. lots of different bodies of water and, and, and be there long enough to get a feel and see if the water's part. I like that. And you may understand things and talents about you that you wouldn't have understood if you weren't willing to do that. Um, That's cool. So keep telling your story about just wherever you want to go. Well, I think the next part is the coming out of it all, along okay. with my education. So I told my husband, we neither of us remember we we're either like engaged or early married. Um, I said, hey, there's something important I want to share with you. I just want you to know that I'm bisexual. And he was like, great, cool. Thanks for letting me know. Like, just like absolutely relaxed and okay with it. But that was the... I'm going to get tearful talking about it because our relationship is so sweet. That was what I love about him loved and still love is that he loves me wholly and respects me. And it is powerful to have someone see all of you and to be so vulnerable and have them just wrap their arms around you and say like, great, you're wonderful. I love you for all of you. So that was really, really needed in our relationship and really healing for me. Why was it healing? Because I walked around so scared that that I wouldn't be accepted for who I am. That I would be rejected or othered and maybe felt that way. So I had a pretty strong mask that I built and held up for everyone around me. And he was someone that I could take the mask down with and to be fully myself and vulnerable. And for him to look at me without the mask and say, I love you meant everything to me. It's really cool. It's great. If your good husband's listening, well done. I don't know what his story makes him the man he is and responded that way, but well done. Just keep sharing your story. You've come out now to your husband. Um, I don't know. And, if you, and that was it. And I was not coming out to anyone else. So tell us how long that went on. And it sounds like eventually that changed. It did. I mean, <laughs> Yes, in a big way. So for about a decade, so our first 10 years of marriage, I stayed closeted because I love, love serving in the church. Whatever my spirituality and the nuance of my testimony is, I love serving in young women's. I love going to girls camp. Those who have gone to camp with me can tell you some stories if we have a good time. And I love serving in the Relief Society. 
I love going into women's homes. Um, again, you, you know how to touch on really, <laughs> really sensitive, important moments in Mississippi. I lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi for a couple of years to get my master's degree and walked into a home where there was barely a door on the front door and just sat on this couch that had been used and abused with a woman who was just so ill and so hurting and watched my Relief Society president just sit as close as you could with her and hold her hand and just gently sit and talk with her and be with her. I love those moments. I want to be in these intense, painful moments with women and not in a sexual way or anything at all, in a spiritual way. I love serving young women and women. And that comes with a big stigma if I'm out as bisexual. Yeah. Because then there's this idea that like, what, what is she doing if she gives a young woman a ride home? Right? People have said to me that they're worried about people who are gay being pedophiles. And I was shocked that anyone still holds that belief or that thought. And so why would I, why would I come out? Why would I risk that, that love of service and that capacity to serve? Why would I risk that? I wouldn't. And that's how I saw it for a long, long time. Makes sense. I mean, I would think that, um, your fears are real and you've heard enough stories and I've heard enough stories that often young men's, young women's leaders change um, if they come out. Their callings may change, their parents' feelings about them may change. Um, and that is a reality of our culture right now um, that I think is based on fear and lack of understanding and and I think knowledge can help. Um, break the fear and recognize the good that you're doing that is there um, and is out of love and concern and compassion. I love that story of the woman in Mississippi and what you and your Relief Society president did. So that makes sense not to come out. So tell our listeners why on earth, knowing full well what that might change for you in your ability to serve people you love, why would you come out then? Because <laughs> I was also in a master's degree for marriage and family therapy and being asked to learn how to take the mask down so that I could be authentic with people who I was asking to also be authentic and to change, right? And so in my program, one of my professors had an assignment where we needed to write in a journal and she would read it and then we would process it together in class. Um, for those who are MFTs or therapists, you'll know this well. Um, and the prompt that she had given us was tell me three things that I don't know about you. And the first thing I put on there was that I'm bisexual. I don't even remember what the other two are. I'd have to pull the journal out and look. And she, in the kindest, most open and loving way, when we got to class, said how impressed she was with the things that she learned and that she was curious about our experiences and asked, Lacey, is there anything that you would like to share with your classmates, with your cohort, with women that I admired? And I said, like, yeah. Yeah, I want to let them know that I'm bisexual. And they lost it. <laughs> they were just floored. Um, and that was really healing. They were curious, too. They were like, but what does that mean for you? You're married. What does that look like in your life? You're Mormon. And we just talked about all of that and processed it together. And that was so healing for me. So now seven more people knew. <laughs> And then I continued to have other events in that master's program to where I came out to all of the professors and to all of my classmates. And that's 
So that's about as far as I got. But then halfway through my master's program, I knew I needed to get a PhD. I had this momentum and excitement for marriage and family therapy and this voracious um, curiosity about the field and wanted to know everything I could about it. So I applied to BYU's MFT program. It's one of the best in the country. And Evan and I had had a really strong prompting that we needed to live in Utah, which was very uh, unexpected for both of us. (laughs) So I applied to BYU, came out for the um, interview, had a wonderful time, got really excited about the program, and then got a call a couple of days later that I was accepted into the program. Wow. That's cool. And I realize at this point, you have never lived in Utah that I'm aware of. Nope. Nope. Uh, I lived in Idaho, so I got close. I got close. Uh, but then after BYU-Idaho, my husband and I moved to Oklahoma, where we lived for seven years, and then Mississippi for three, and then now Utah. So you came to BYU. Talk about you're out to... S- you're coming, you're not, I don't know if you're out to BYU yet, or you're out to any church people or your ward. No, um, just... not, not, not really. So what was interesting though, is like, so during my interview, I didn't come out to even the person that I was interested in working with. Um, but when I got here, after I got accepted into the program, I came out to her, her name is Dr. Banford Whitting. Um, Alyssa. Uh, and she just, again, held space for me and said, thank you so much for sharing them. How can I support you? And that is all I needed to just <laughs> be fully out and proud of who I was and to share that authentic self with others. That's great. I love that people are, the things people are doing when you come out are not very complicated. Um, they're just loving you and accepting you. And how can I be so continue to support you? They're not saying, are you sure, Lacey, or you really thought about this? Or, you know, some of the things that you might hear, you're not hearing. Talk about um, coming out to any church, any wards or any of that stuff or, or wherever you yeah, want to go so with then, your story. So then it's kind of started. So then I got a job at Encircle Therapy. And... My bishop here in uh, South Provo area, um, his name is Bishop Meekum. I hope he's okay with me using his name, (laughs) is one of the most loving men that I have met in that capacity of bishop. Cool. And he reached out and said, I'd love to come get a tour of Encircle and learn more about what you're doing there. And so one Saturday we met up and he brought all of his children And we did a tour and he asked, he said, why is a place like this needed in our community? I want you to tell my kids. And I said, it's because LGBTQ kids don't have safe homes and Encircle provides a safe home for them. And that was so empowering for me to know that he cared. I love that he... um was curious and wanted to learn. And I love that he brought his kids and wanted them to learn. And, um, I, and I just love that he was driven by understanding curiosity and a desire to understand you and recognize that perhaps you could help him and his ward because you were interning there. Yes. That's cool. And that relationship continued, um, as I opened Celebrate Therapy, the young women's leaders reached out to me because several, if not almost all of their young women are in this, well, all of them are in identity exploration moments, but are kind of exploring their LGBTQ identities. And so they, we talked and we had the young women come here to Celebrate Therapy and sat down together for one of their Wednesday night activities, or, well, Thursday night. I still call them Wednesday night activities because that's when it was when I was a kid, right? So Thursday night activity. Um, 
came over and they asked all the questions and we had all the nuanced conversations with the bishop and the leaders there supporting everything that I was saying. And that was huge. They kept looking at the bishop and looking at their leaders and being like, is this okay? <laughs> what kind of questions were they asking? They asked like, so what if I identify as pansexual and another girl at school identifies as pansexual and she has a crush on me and I want to date her. I said, you can date her. And they were floored. They were like, what? And I was like, you can follow the standards that the church has for chastity. You can take, um, you can have conversations with your, your family about the standards that your family wants to hold around dating and around, and around exploring sexual orientation and gender identity and talk about what that looks like for you. And if you're committed to stay in the church, then that limits the pool of people that you're going to date if dating is important to you. We also talked about asexuality and being aromantic and how to navigate that within the church. So it was a very powerful conversation. Do you feel like um, these young women and probably young men of that age are having these kind of discussions with their families and friends at school and um, and they're just looking for safe places? Do you think, or do you think this was unique in this particular situation? I know that these kids are having conversations at school or online, being super curious about identity exploration, seeing other people be out online, celebrities or people in their discord chats or when they're streaming, people talking about their identities. So it is in the ethos around them. It just is happening. And families are not as attentive to it and wards are not as attentive to it. So I think what was unique about this is that the leader said, we see you, we see these questions and let's sit with you and talk about them. Let's pause for a minute and just be curious about your experiences. I think that was unique. And that's what I'm hopeful that families and wards can do for youth. What would you say to parents who are naturally cautious and worry that exposing their children to any discussion about LGBTQ might confuse their children or cause exploratory behavior or cause them to be curious about something they weren't curious about before? I immediately want to just ask them about that fear and worry within themselves. What about your child exploring their identities at a healthy developmental age is fearful for you? What's coming up for you and why? And how can you regulate that emotion so that you can show up for your kid? Because they're going to explore a variety of identities. It doesn't mean that it's a fad. It doesn't mean that it's a phase that you discredit. It means that you're there every step of the way in it with them. That's what I've come to feel too, is I, you have a lot more space, but we did, um, I think it was Ben Shalati and I did a Zoom fireside with a young, um, young men's, young women's an award. And the bishop was really thoughtful, had um, anonymous questions submitted online via Google Forms, I think. And, and Ben and I took some of those questions, but they were, um, very thought out, um, very well educated, understood the terminology. And I recognize, you know, and I can't generalize for the whole church because I'm just talking about one ward and you would have a, maybe a better feeling because you're more connected to the youth. I just recognize they're talking about this space and they're very educated and they want to have really these kind of discussions in faithful settings because um, they can certainly have them in other settings. So I think it's important for wards and families to figure out how to talk about this stuff because our kids are talking about it. Yes. And they're, they, by the time they're talking about it with you, they've been researching it for years, right? They have been curious about their own experience and finding communities and finding words and researching words. So it may be new to you when you first talk with them about it. And you can say, 
Hey, if I ever like express worry or fear, just know that this is new to me and I'm learning and I, I will go and take this information and, and find out for myself more about it. So thank you for teaching me and I'll continue to be on this journey with you. I love that. Um, talk and I love anything that removes shame. That's one of the things that I've, as I've learned this space. There's so much shame if you're not cis or straight that I think that that can be separate people from the love of God and love of them, themselves. So getting the shame out of the equation, I've always thought, and a therapist is often needed to do that, can help people make better decisions going forward. Um, I'd love you to tell any more about your own story. Are you out to your bishop? Are you? I don't know where you are, if you've changed wards. Any yes. more about that you want to share before I'd love to talk about Celebrate Therapy? Yeah, I have moved now because we... I opened the practice, so we're settled. We're living in Provo permanently, which is very exciting. Yes. Um, And I haven't had a chance to interact with my ward too much because my kids have been very sick, um, just with colds and stuff. But I I am very nervous about my future in the church. I'm very nervous about my capacity to be in leadership positions and any discrimination that will come my way. That's that, that fear is there still the same fear I had when I was young. Um, but I have a community, a chosen family that supports and acknowledges me. Um, so I'm hoping that I can navigate that fear in a different way this time. Um, thanks for being vulnerable, Lacey. Ta- are those two different fears? Your fear about the, your future in the church and your fear about being able to participate in the leadership callings that you feel that God would call you to, but perhaps, um, you know, people wouldn't open the door to be for you to be considered for those callings. So those are the, just talk more about that. Yeah, I think, I think they are, um, separate things, but maybe like in a Venn diagram, (laughs) there is some connection between those two. I, I know that therapists who have spoken out, for ethical practices have received, um, I don't remember the verbiage now, it's all changed, but like have been disfellowshipped or um, not able to practice and participate in their ward. Um, But so I am worried about that. I'm not going to change my therapy practice (laughs) and the ethical standards I live and work by to accommodate um, maybe some of the church's standards. And I know that's a very difficult place to be at, Um, which is why I say I'm still a practicing member of the church because I still uphold my temple covenants. And so I don't want to be discredited. I don't want to not be part of the church anymore, but I won't back down from what I believe and know to be important in people's lives um, and life-saving practices. And that's probably a good segue into some of the ethical therapy and life-saving practices you're going to talk about. And, and um, maybe introduce celebrate therapy. So there are other places to get therapy. Um, I would, if I'm using the right vocabulary, LGB affirming or LGB focused Mm -hmm. and um, talk about your decision along with other um, queer therapists to open your own place. Yes. Um, I always have to credit in circle therapy for being a beautiful, incredible nurturing environment for me to learn how to be um, an informed and affirming LGBTQ therapist. But I see a need in our community for a queer therapy practice where you walk in and there is just rainbow and color and celebration of identity. Um, I I wanted to provide that space because, and I want to work in that space. Like maybe a little bit selfishly, like I want to be my whole self in my workplace. And so have the gumption. (laughs) And the fortitude to say, like, all right, let me start one then. 
Let me make that happen. I have this community of other queer professionals um, that I've met through BYU and other programs. And they trusted me and said, like, yeah, let's do it. And it has just been such an honor. I mean, it's the honor of my life to have a, a therapy practice that's a queer therapy practice where all of the clinicians are queer, queer. And most of them have a connection to the church in some way, but not all of us. And we represent a wide variety, even just among the four of us, a wide variety of experiences. It has been so fun to come together and collaborate. And the space has just grown and flourished. And it is exciting to be here. Like I am constantly invigorated when I walk in the door. Um, and t- I can't remember if we've talked about this. Tell our listeners um, when you started, when you opened the doors and and your website address. Yes. So website is celebratetherapy.org. You can also find us on social media at Celebrate Therapy. Um, and we opened the doors in August. So I graduated this year with my PhD and finished up my hours for licensure in circle therapy and then got the practice legally set up and then found a space here on Center Street and opened our doors August 2nd, which was a Monday. Um, and my, my clients, again, trusted me and came with me from Encircle. Thankfully, again, so grateful for Encircle. They um, allowed me to continue therapy with the clients that I had. And so they came over with me and we were able to just pick up where we left off and they saw much, but a lot of painting, getting furniture and putting pictures up. It's been a space that feels like a a community, the queer community has like built and put together. It's been really wonderful. Um, Talk about your relationship with Flourish um, and Encircle. So those are and now um, celebrate. There's three of you sort of in Utah County. How would you frame up the relationship between all three of you? Yes, we are very much in a, in a partnership. Um, we're companions in this, um, this force for good, this force for connection for the LGBTQ community. I often use the imagery of like that game of Red Rover, Red Rover, or we are linked arms and I am supported by them and they're supported by me. And we're not in competition or anything. Like we are all in this together (laughs) and we're supporting one another in supporting the mental health and relationship health of the queer community. One of the questions I get the most, um, just people that reach out to me, they're often um, LDS parents that have an LGBTQ child and they're looking for a therapist and often they want an LDS therapist. And I think in the back of my mind, it's, it might be because they want to um, keep their LGBT kid in the church or at least someone that's church neutral. They may worry about a therapist whose goal is to get their kid out of the church because they feel their kid will do better out of the church. And, and so you're, um, every therapist has their own personal story. Um, and you're, you're, I like that you're being open with your story, your LDS, your queer. Um, but talk about if, how parents should approach, you know, this is specific to you, I guess, as a therapist, but in general, also just what a, th- a therapist that's following standard ethical practices would navigate, you know, um, having an LGBTQ um, client. It's yeah. kind of a long question, but I think you can handle it. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> um, I see this all the time and have had mixed experiences with it because my ethical obligation and the, what I want to do <laughs> is to support the growth of the, their child, um, of their divine child, right? With these queer identities to help the child navigate exploring those identities, having a safe, secure group to do that with, and to explore how their testimony of the gospel fits with that, if it does. 
or if they want to step away from the church and explore other aspects of their spirituality and express them in new and different ways. My job is not to corral them into any choices, but to just help them explore and bring those to the surface and then advocate for their needs to their parents and for parents to sit and listen and to support their child and then to seek healing in their own spaces. Um, I love that. And it's taken me a while to kind of get to that point. I think it was a therapist that taught me the principle of self-determination, which I think is consistent with our doctrine that uh, our job is to, I mean, I'm coming this from a pastoral and a former, you know, local YSA leader where I'd always, and so I'm coming from a little different angle because I'd always would invite and still when I meet with people, invite people to stay in the church and you probably from an ethical standpoint would be more neutral than me, but I would then pivot and say, you've got to self-determine your best path forward and I'll walk with you. Mm -hmm. And often it's somebody like you, a therapist that can give them the tools to make their best path forward. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of way listeners, how I navigate this space. And um, I, I recognize that at times you may disappoint LDS parents that feel like the bishop's job is the same as your job is to sort of keep your kid in the church. And I realize you're trying to, from a mental health standpoint, help an LGBTQ person make their best path forward. It just talk more about that. Yeah. I'll share an example. Um, And of course use de-identified information in this. That is an example from a client though. Um, it's hard to talk about because of the care that I have for the well-being of the child, but the, the parent was given counsel from their bishop to, to connect with their child by reading the Book of Mormon and that any issues that the child was experiencing would be resolved if they just read together the Book of Mormon for five minutes a day, every day. And as I worked with the child on how that was going for them, was that a great time of connection with their parents? Was that meaningful to them? They were able to be honest and talk about how harmful that was for them, how disingenuous it was, and how it lacked any compassion and connection. And what they would have rather had is their parent come into their room every day and look in their eyes and say, I love you. And so we self, we advocated for that to happen for the parent to come into the room and say, I love you. Unfortunately that the parent wasn't able to do that. Um, And, and then found, found another clinician that they felt better working with because it was a challenge that they weren't, they weren't willing to change. And, and I hope and pray that that child is okay. I know that what they need is love and connection and compassion from their parents. Every child needs that unconditional love, truly not conditional that you will love them for all that they are for the, every divine identity that they hold and to not smother that or to discourage it, but to enhance it and to celebrate it. I love that. And I'm with you on that. Um, and I've, I'm just, you know, I'm with you on that, Dr. Lacey and, and our hearts both kind of are tender hearted when we, when we see the dissonance that's sometimes created with parents that maybe rightly so are hopeful of a certain outcome and maybe they're grieving that outcome may not happen, but need to kind of get to a point where they're to what you described. And I don't think that means they're giving up the gospel or anything that they hold in value. I think in fact, they come to the conclusion that they're living the gospel so many of the parents I meet with, and you know these stories better than I do, just come to the conclusion, my job is to love my kid. 
and not to control some certain outcome and leave any judgment to the Savior. And when they get to that point, often they're just relieved because controlling an outcome is not really the plan anyway, but it's relieving to just kind of let go of that and say, okay, I can do that. And and their eternal family isn't messed up and their hopes for the future have changed, but their I think their core, core eternal dreams, if you're practicing LDS, I would say are still on the table. And let's don't decide your eternal family right now, what that might be based on um, where your eternal family is right now. Yeah, and oftentimes you say, so So lead with faith, right? If you're saying, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I not lead with fear and worry? Lead with faith and curiosity, right? We have been given all the tools of the atonement and of forever families and of divine love to know how to do this. So let's use them. And I think of what your father did for you and even know that didn't, I don't think he did that with an agenda to keep you in the church. <laughs> You're smiling. I think he communicated that you are, that he is a safe person. And as a parent, I've always wanted to communicate that I'm a safe person. And so that advice to, for that parent to go in and tell that child over again, I love you and I support you and I see you and I'll listen to you and I'll walk with you. I think it's one of the greatest gifts we can give our parents is that we're safe for them. So they will open up to us about the reality of their situation, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're considering. And so we can kind of be aware of the, what the reality of their life. And, and um, I think those are great parenting moments. Um, and it kind of requires us as a parent to take a back seat, maybe for our hopes or our dreams or, even the fear we have of what people in our community will think of us if we have an LGBTQ kid and think about my priorities as a parent is number one, my kid and my kid's well-being. Uh, More advice to LDS parents or more principles you'd love to share that apply to parenthood or more things you'd like to share with LGBTQ people? Um, As far as parents go, Find love and support. I, I want to express compassion also for parents, right? I'm a parent myself. I see you parents, right? I will sit with you as well. Yes, I will advocate for your child, but I'll also advocate for your own inner child to find healing and safety. So it's not that I'm choosing sides or against parents. No, I'm with you. Right? Like I'm in this with you. Let's find healing so you can support your kid. Right. Like I, that's how family therapy works. Um, that's why we do family therapy is to help families create that space, that safe environment for their kids to thrive. And then to the queer community, just, I see you too. Right. I'm, I'm in this with you. And we can navigate this and it's going to be messy and full of fear and full of love. And we are divine and we are created in the image of our, our heavenly parents and the divine and we are loved. And I, I hope we can always remember that. It's a great finishing statement. We're kind of coming up at the hour mark. I look at your personal page, and I'll just mention listeners, Lacey also has a personal page at Lacey Bagley MFT. Is there just three in there? Dot com. Mm -hmm. And as you know, there's a pride flag there, and it says, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. And in some ways, I think of Christ and his personal ministry and You know, and I think he did everything to visually communicate as well as orally communicate that very same principles. No, he didn't have a pride flag, but I think he tried to do everything that was in his ability to communicate the very same principles. And people certainly felt safe around Christ because of all the people he surrounded him with and that he was willing to listen and help them be seen and heard and invited to his table. 
Um, everybody was worthy to be at his table. So I think you're doing things that Christ did in the New Testament. Um, you. You're a terrific person, a terrific guest. Um, um, I would love to give a shout out. Tell us who your receptionist is. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was honored <laughs> to share a backyard with Margaret and Travis Seward. Uh, while I was renting a home here in Provo and they became fast friends. I, we, I was at a state conference um, where Margaret and Travis had shared their story and not even like a week later, I was knocking on their door <laughs> to say, Hey neighbor, let's talk about being queer. <laughs> and so we connected um, and Margaret found out about Celebrate Therapy and wanted to be involved. And I needed a receptionist. She needed a receptionist job. So when you walk into Celebrate Therapy, you get to be greeted by the warm and lovely Margaret Stewart. And um, that is a great couple. Um, one of our highest listened episodes. It's episode 177, listeners. If you want to scroll way back... <laughs> Um, Travis Stewart is a return mission president in the Houston area. And I remember the story right after his mission, a few years later, he just rolled over one morning to his wife, Margaret said, I'm gay, been gay forever. <laughs> and I need to tell you that. And just the courage. And you know, that road too to take that mask down and be vulnerable and real and share his story and all the people that they've helped. And now with Margaret, being there at Celebrate, that just makes me happy. She yes. is a terrific woman. They're just a terrific couple, and they've blessed so many lives in so many circles. Any closing thoughts you'd love to live with her? You've done such a great job, Lacey. Any closing thoughts? I just have so much gratitude. I knew that when I drove into Utah that I would be coming out. And I'd never felt that ever in my whole life. And I was scared of it. And I am so, so, so grateful for the queer clinicians that work for me, for my chosen family of queer friends who celebrate me and support my family, my husband, my kids who surround me with love. And I just have so much gratitude for the, the queer community and the allies who have fought so hard in this area and laid such a strong foundation that celebrate therapy could exist. Right. Um, we, I don't even know five years ago if this would have been possible. So I feel so grateful to be here in this town at this time. I know that it's divinely inspired. Um, I just, you know, I'd love to close my eyes in five or 10 years and see where Celebrate Therapy is. You've just opened where you are, the work you're doing, the growth of, um, there's been a need for this, but just the growth of meeting the need of the queer community. As I, listeners, um, I can see Lacey on my screen and she has a beautiful green room. I think we're in your office where you do therapy. Yes. Tell us why your room is green. It's just a beautiful green. That's kind of a cool sub story. Yes, yes. I uh, grew up in northern Minnesota. We've talked about that. So imagine pine trees and lush grass. And um, imagine as a young child with a big imagination and a lot of emotions, walking into the woods and feeling safe there and building little fairy houses and just letting my emotions be big. And um, that's what the space I wanted to create. So when you walk into my office, you walk into Minnesota. It's beautiful. You've got multiple shades of green there. You've got a couch that's green, a chair that's green, I can see. and A rug that's green. A rug that's green. I'm seeing more. And um, I just love couch. that. It's just beautifully done. And it's just part of who you are. And I love yes. this. You brought part of Northern Minnesota to Provo, Utah. And as I also, as I watch Lacey listeners, there's just no shame about who she is. Her face is bright. Um, it's, I call it the pride of self-respect. Sometimes pride is just always a bad word in LDS culture, but there's this pride of self-respect, which is being our best personal selves 
which I think is a good thing. It's not comparative in nature. It's just each of us being our personal best and using all the talents that God has given us, including sexual orientation or gender identity, to be our very personal best and taking those talents and using them to bless other of God's children in unique ways. And so as I look at Dr. Bagley, I'm seeing someone who has not buried her talents and is taking all those. I get tenderhearted here because there's such a need for her and her talents. And in talking to Dr. Bagley, I'm talking to you that are queer too. This is how I think your heavenly parents feel about you is that this is a talent. This is part of your divine nature. It's a gift and it's something that you're learning to see that way. And I think then the pride of self-respect is I'm going to be my very best personal self. And I think that leads and getting the shame out of the equation is key to that. And sometimes you need Jesus and a therapist to do that. Um, And so you're just, I just kind of have a wonderful way about you and a grace and a kindness to your to everybody, parents, to um, flourish, to encircle. You're just a bridge builder. You're a common ground person. You're the kind of people that help um, reduce the divisiveness in this world and help us come together as the same human family. Elder Cook, and I use this quote a lot, talks about unity and diversity. And I think that, I even think the city of Enoch perhaps was translated not because they became the same, but because they gained unified. And um, you can think about that for a while. I've been thinking about that for about a month since it, the thought came in my head. Um, but we know there was no poor among them, which means it seems to be there a lot of love and support and understanding of those that walked a harder, harder road. Lacey, what's the best way for people to find you? I think we've given your website. If people want to directly contact you, is, is your contact information there? Do you want to give yeah, that out? Everything's on the website. You can always directly email me, Lacey, at CelebrateTherapy.org. All of my clinicians have their information on the website. We want to be available. We want to be transparent and accessible. So please reach out. Um, If we have time, you can just come in and chat or set up a, a therapy session for you, your family, you and your spouse, whatever you need. We're here. That's great. So this is Dr. Lacey Bagley and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.